0: So today we'll be, we're wrapping up, well, I won't wrap up today. We have two more weeks left in our our Ezra Nehemiah series here. And I'll be preaching on Nehemiah's chapters 10 and 11. And the title of my sermon is called Playing Our Part. And as we turn our attention this morning to Nehemiah's chapters 10 and 11, we find ourselves at a crucial stage in the history of Israel. The walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt, not merely with bricks and plaster, but through fervent prayers, unity, hard work and dedication, and by God's gracious hand. Yet, the physical reconstruction is just the beginning. And these chapters draw our attention to the deeper work of spiritual restoration. If you were here last Sunday... Pastor Dan did an amazing job and you'll remember that in Nehemiah chapter 9 we witness the profound response of the Israelite community after they collectively acknowledged and confessed their sins of years of generational unfaithfulness recognizing God's unwavering mercy and grace towards them in the midst of it. And chapter 9 concludes with a dramatic moment where the leaders, Levites, and priests seal a written agreement, essentially a binding covenant reaffirming their commitment to follow God's law and to uphold the duties and regulations prescribed by the Torah. And so with that, let's read the last verse of chapter 9. Nehemiah 9.38 says, Now because of all this, we are making an agreement in writing, and on the seal of the document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. This covenant they are making is not only a religious affirmation, but also signifies their social, economic, and spiritual responsibilities, as we'll get to see here in a few. So moving into chapter 10 now, we get a look at the specifics of this covenant, And in verses 1 to 27 of chapter 10, we see the names of those that were on this sealed document. We won't read through the names, but I believe we have a couple of slides there, and I'll walk you through how they're broken down into. And so the list begins with Nehemiah and Zedekiah, who was probably his assistant. Next to sign were 21 priests, the heads of priestly households, and that goes from verses 2 to 8 of chapter 10. Now, if you read through these names, and I'm hoping that you've been reading through the book of Nehemiah, Ezra Nehemiah with us, Ezra's name is not in chapter 10 here, because the head of his household was Saraiah, and you see that in verse 2 of chapter 10. Then comes the name of 17 heads of Levitical households, verses 9 to 13, followed by 44 heads of leading families, verses 14 to 27. Now, some of the verses listed on here, we talked about those in Ezra 2 and Nehemiah 7, and I know that's like a long time ago, so like if you want to go through all that again, you can start from like, 10 weeks ago, and you can listen to the whole uh, series we've gone through in Ezra and Nehemiah. But the others in this list here in chapter 10 represent either new families that have branched off of those from Zerubbabel's time or more recent arrivals from Babylon. Now, in verses 28 to 39 of this chapter, we see the commitments of the document. The people agreed to avoid marriages that would dilute their religious distinctiveness. They agreed to observe the sabbatical year to forgive debts among themselves and to strictly adhere to the commandments regarding offerings and sacrifices that sustain the temple worship. So. It's a holistic commitment that encompasses every aspect of their lives, demonstrating their desire to reestablish a society that is in harmony with God's purposes and a nation that's defined by their covenant relationship with Him. So let's look at verses 28 and 29 of chapter 10. It reads like this. Now the rest of the people, the priest. The Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God. Their wives, their sons and their daughters, all who had knowledge and understanding are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God or God and his ordinances and his statutes. And we read through that and you're like, okay, what does all that mean? <laughs> we'll walk through it here. So my first point for you actually comes from this passage or this portion of scripture. And it's this, playing our part starts with a commitment Personal holiness. So it starts with each and every one of you. A commitment to personal holiness. In the verses we just read, we learned that all the people supported this agreement with their which their leaders had made. The whole nation was on board from the priests and Levites to the servants to the women and children. See, they had already taken the first step to serve God by separating themselves from ungodly. Influences. Now they decided together to go above and beyond. And from these two verses, we can learn several key principles. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 28 says, all who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God. And so they had agreed to separate from the ungodly influences. These relationships were like a burden pulling them down. It was as if they were trying to move forward, all the while being pulled backwards. Imagine an athlete. Imagine an athlete with me in a race, and there's someone else tied by a cord to the athlete. When they try to go forward, the other person pulls them back. And that is what it's like when we try to serve God, but refuse to separate ourselves from ungodly influences and relationships. You'll be stuck. You will not move forward. But here we see that once they cut the cord, they were able to move forward. They were able to make important decisions. But first, they had to cut off the dead weight, and then many other steps followed. And I want you to get this live spring. Those are few who are tuned in online. I want you to get this. There needs to be a separation that is taking place in our lives if we are going to live by His truths. And this separation needs to be emphasized in our day because it seems to me that many Christians have swung to the other extreme where there is no significant difference between the way we live and the way the world lives. We may go to church a bit more, yes, but we have adopted the world's views, values and goals. We're living for personal success and happiness to the extent that God can help us in those goals. But if obedience to God gets in the way of our success and happiness, we're quick to set him aside and get on with our agendas. We need to be set apart. We need to be walking in holiness, walking in holiness. And and please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not... Uh, it's a bad thing to have a good paying job or to want nice things. That's not what I'm saying. Because just about everything we do in our society today entails money. So we do got to work and we do got to make money. But the proper balance is that we are in this world. We're not to be of this world. John 1714 to 17 says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Church. We are to live in the world, but we are to be distinct. We are to be set apart. And this is going to require a sacrifice. But that's okay because making sacrifices for God changes our lives. You will not be the same if you start to do this. See, the Israelites made a commitment to serve God and they took that commitment seriously. The people were so serious about their commitment that they were willing to take on themselves a curse if they didn't follow through. The curse refers to Deuteronomy chapter 27 verses 15 to 26 and chapter 28 verses 15 to 68 which called down numerous curses on Israel if they forsook the covenant. The commitment they made was not an empty one. And they had every intention as Nehemiah 1029 b says to keep and to observe all the commandments of the God or Lord and his ordinances, and his statutes. They didn't just pick out one or two things to obey. Together, they made a joint decision to obey all of God's commands. And as we saw in chapter 8, that included laws which hadn't been obeyed, In a thousand years, they stood firm in their resolve, separating themselves from the surrounding nations to follow God's law with a wholehearted pledge. And in an age where commitments are easily broken, we must ask ourselves what are our convictions? What are our convictions? Like the Israelites, are we ready to wholeheartedly pledge ourselves to follow God's word even when the surrounding culture goes in a different direction? Are you ready to do that, LifeSpring? See, just as the Israelites committed to a covenant relationship with God, so are we under the new covenant called to live a life that is pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8:10 tells us, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people practical application of this for us is this living under the new covenant means a daily commitment to christ choosing his ways over the world and allowing his spirit to guide us in truth and holiness so let me ask you those of you sitting in here today those of you tuned in online those of you who will listen to this recording at a later date what sacrifice or sacrifices Do you need to make for God today? What ungodly influence do you need to get rid of today? And what steps can you take to help ensure that you follow through on the commitments you make to God so that you can grow in him? Remember, playing our part starts with a commitment to personal holiness. What does that look like for each and every one of you in here today? My second point for today is this, playing our part extends to our homes, workplaces, and church commitments. Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 30 to 39. Our homes, let's look at that one first. Nehemiah 10.30 says, We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. In chapter 9, you may remember that they had already separated themselves from these sinful relationships. But victory yesterday does not guarantee victory tomorrow. And intermarriage was a continual temptation. And so the Israelites had to guard against falling back into the same sin. Therefore, they made a commitment together that they would not support this practice in any way, either themselves or their children. Notice that they don't give any conditions or any exceptions. Instead, they simply agree not to do it. The application for us is this. We, too, should not tolerate sin. Let me say that again. We, too. Should not tolerate sin and it would be wise if we evaluate ourselves so that we can understand our weaknesses And if we are weak in certain areas and I believe we all have that we need to take extra measures in those areas to guard against temptations So what steps can you take to ensure that you don't fall into the same sins again and again? and parents I encourage you to instill God's standards in your children before 13 years. God's truth must extend to your home. But it must also extend to our workplaces. Nehemiah 10.31 says, As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. And we will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So they further agreed not to conduct business on the Sabbath. And if you know anything about the Israelites, one of the major problems of the Israelites after the return to Jerusalem was that they pursued their own kingdoms instead of God's. And when you read the book of Haggai, you learn that they were making luxurious upgrades to their own houses while the temple was not even built and the city was in ruins. And as a culture and as a people... They had become very materialistic. And one of the results was that in their efforts to make as much money or profit as possible, they had begun to disregard the rules about the Sabbath. It was no longer a day of rest dedicated to worshiping God. Instead, it was just another day for themselves, another day to make money, or another day to buy and sell in the market. And the application for us today is, are you building God's kingdom, or are you building your own kingdom? Do Do you allow your work to keep you from serving god or do you allow your desire for wealth for material things or promotion to cause you to become so busy with pursuing the things of the world that you're not able to participate in what it looks like to be a part of the body of christ church today is the day to make a commitment to put god first in your work so what tangible steps Do you need to take today to restore God to his rightful place in your life and put him first again? I didn't say this was going to be easy. I did say it would take some sacrifice. What's that sacrifice that you need to take today? Next, playing our part should extend to our church commitments. Nehemiah 10, 32 and 33. It says, we also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the continual grain offering, for the continual burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moon, for the appointed times, for the holy things, and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. So, as we just read, They agreed to give to support the work of the priests in the temple. I mean, how could the Levites and priests effectively perform the ministry God had given to them if they weren't supported? The answer is simple. They just couldn't. They just couldn't. Let's keep reading here, verses 34 to 36. It says, Likewise, we cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests. The Levites and the people so that they might bring it to the house of our God according to our fathers' households at fixed times annually to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. 35, and that they might bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord annually. 36, and bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and our cattle and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, as it is written in the law for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. So they agreed to supply the priests with supplies, including wood and food, and they agreed to dedicate their firstborn and to give of their first fruits. The application is this. We should make a commitment to put God first in all areas of our life. This means your time, talent, and treasure. And your time, talent, and treasure Extend to your church commitments. So, verses 32 to 39 mention a specific number of commitments to provide for temple worship. Summed up by Nehemiah 10.39, which says, Thus, we ne- we will not neglect the house of our God. And actually... The phrase, the house of our God, occurs nine times in these verses. And this phrase underscores the New Testament teaching that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that stewardship is not just financial, but involves our homes, our workplaces, our decisions, our finances, and every aspect of our lives, including our church commitments. He owns it all. He does. We just manage it. For his kingdom purposes, we are merely stewards of his creation, called to manage it in accordance with his purposes, ensuring that our lives and resources are used to further his kingdom. Therefore, this dedication is holistic and should encourage us to reflect on our individual responsibilities to the local church. What does that look like in your life? What does that look like in your life? Let me read that again. So quiet in here. You guys okay? Is it too hot in here? Huh? It is holistic and should encourage us to reflect on our individual responsibilities to the local church. This this will actually be the focus of chapter 11 as we walk through this. And so as we head into chapter 11 now, chapter 11 transitions to the practical outworkings of the commitments they made in chapter 10, beginning with the repopulation of Jerusalem. See, despite its central status, Jerusalem had been sparsely inhabited, a condition that needed rectification to restore the city to its former significance and to fulfill the religious and social needs of the nation to address this leaders and volunteers encouraged by the spirit of the covenant stepped forward to inhabit the city and lots were cast to bring a tithe of the population into Jerusalem to secure its viability as a nation's heart The rest of the chapter further provides detailed lists of those who took up residence in Jerusalem and those who served in surrounding villages, emphasizing the importance of community. And this is a key thing here. I don't want you to miss this. The key thing is this, the various roles played by individuals in the collective restoration and life of the people. So let's read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11. It says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, to the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Point three is this. Play your part. By serving where God calls us to serve, play your part by serving where God calls us to serve. Nehemiah 11: 1 to 36. We won't read through the rest of the chapter, but I'll break down the categories of people listed in this chapter. And so, chapter 11 lists from verses 3 to 9 of chapter 11 the heads of families in Jerusalem. Then the priests in verses 10 to 14, the Levites in verses 15 to 18, the gatekeepers and temple servants in verses 19 to 21, various officials appointed by the king of Persia in verses 22 to 24, and the people who lived outside the city in verses 25 to 36. And each of them served in their respective sphere for the effective operation of the city and the nation. Those who lived outside of the city had to farm the land to provide food for those in the city. Each had a different role, but each role was vital to the entire cause. In the body of Christ, God has gifted us in different ways. But every part, is vital for the overall functioning and health of the body. You can find that reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 30. Therefore... As a result of this, we should learn to coordinate and complement each other without friction or rivalry. Which means unity among God's people is very important. And if you have a disagreement, then go to that person and work it out. We just looked at it. The agreement they made in chapter 10... We just looked at the agreement they made in chapter 10, and now we're seeing the outworkings of that agreement. Imagine what the result of this agreement would be if only half of the people agreed. Imagine if only half of the delegates in the Continental Congress supported the U.S. Declaration of Independence. The point is this. For great change to take place, unity is important. Lack of unity will bring about division... Factions and arguing, and they could not and would not have been able to build the wall in 52 days without unity. They could not change their nation's bad habits and the sinful lifestyle they had slipped into without working together to change things. And we also need to be united to serve God together. We should not walk around looking for things to disagree with other believers about. We should not be quick to pass judgment and divide. We should not let differences of opinion keep us from working together. I feel like a lot of that has been happening. All those things I just talked about. What does it look like for you to play your part? What does it look like for you to be willing to serve where God has called you to be? Friends, the church has has a huge task. We have the task of reaching the world for Christ. And that is not going to happen if we don't learn how to work together, and if we're not playing our part in the body of Christ or in the church as we call it. In fact, you know what, let me break that down for you, the word church. Let's look at that more closely because in the original text of the New Testament, it was written in Greek. And the Greek word for church is ecclesia, and it literally means the called-out ones. Therefore, this definition of church speaks to God' people rather than a specific building. It also defines the church collectively as a people, not individually, but collectively. It's made up of each and every one of you individually. The called-out ones, plural, not just one. In other words, we need each other. We We need community. The church is the community of believers meeting together. The church is just a place where the church meets. We are the church and the responsibilities of the church rest on our shoulders. See, when we define the church as a building, we relegate our responsibilities to the building, to the programs, and the staff within the building. And we say things like, it is the church's job, meaning staff, to do X, Y, and Z, fill in the blank, whatever you want to put there. But the truth of the matter is, we are the church. We are the church, and therefore it is our responsibility collectively to minister, to equip, and to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. My last point for you this morning is this be willing to serve without a claim that's also an aspect of playing our part see most of the names in chapter 11 means nothing to us some aren't even listed by name but are lumped together with all of their kinsmen as a group you can find that in verses 12 to 14 zabdiel is named in 11:14, although. He means nothing to us. But 128 of his kinsmen go unnamed except to say that they were valiant warriors. But 128 valiant warriors were no small part to secure a city and to keep it safe. Friends, the church needs many people like that in order to function well. This place would shut down in a, in a week if we didn't have many who labor faithfully behind the scenes. You never see them up up front but they do what god has given them to do they're like your vital organs you never see them but when one of them shuts down you're in big trouble and i want us to know two things about these kinds of people two things the first thing is this faithfulness not fame is the name of the game faithfulness not fame is the name of the game Matthew 6, 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. The second thing is this. God notices even if others do not. See, God saw it fit to record these names. They mean absolutely nothing to us, but they meant something to God. And that's what ultimately matters. If you're getting upset because no one in the church notices all that you do, your focus is in the wrong place. Look to the Lord whom you are serving and remember Hebrews 6.10. For God is not so unjust as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. So as we close out Nehemiah 11, we've witnessed a remarkable moment. Leaders stepped forward to live in Jerusalem, the city of God, and people followed some by casting of lots, others By voluntary choice. This was not a move for personal gain, but a strategic step for the welfare of the community, a decision made for the collective good. And this narrative beckons us to consider our own commitment to the church. Are we like the Israelites? Willing to step into roles that may be uncomfortable, to go where God calls, even if it means stepping out of our comfort zones. The church today is in need of those who will say, here I am, send me. The call may be to teach, to mentor, to give. Or to open our homes in hospitality. It may be to go across the street. Or across the world. But we're all called to go church. We're called to build up the body of Christ. Not in isolation. But shoulder to shoulder. With our brothers and sisters in the faith. As Ephesians 4. 11 to 16 expounds. Working in love to grow into the full stature of Christ. In Nehemiah 11. Many names are listed, names of faithful servants, from priests to musicians, gatekeepers to temple servants. These were not just names on a page. These were individuals who devoted themselves to service in the house of God. And just as they served according to the gifts God had given to them, we too are each equipped with gifts intended for service in God's kingdom. Therefore, each and every one of us, each and every one of you, have a spiritual gift to exercise for the building up of the body of Christ and the building up of life spring. Each one of you has a spiritual gift gift that he or she is to use in ministry and each of you have been entrusted by God with a vital ministry for which you will give an account for sometimes within the Christian community and if this is you I'm not singling you out but I want to encourage you those who perceive themselves as having just one talent may feel their gifts are too insignificant To make a substantial difference. But I want to challenge this thought. By saying that every gift. No matter the size or scope. When offered in service to the Lord. Holds immeasurable worth. And potential for his services. We need you. We need each and every one of you. This time I'd like to invite the worship team. Up front. And as I get ready to close this morning. In the quiet of our hearts, let's ask ourselves, I won't call you out, but how am I, or how should I be serving in the house of the Lord? And remember, service is not about prominence or position, it is about the posture of our hearts, it is in the seemingly small acts of faithfulness that great things are accomplished for the kingdom. And whether you are called to teach, to sing, to usher, or to serve behind the scenes, do it as unto the Lord, as Colossians three, twenty-three and 24 tells us. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Rather, it's part of a divine tapestry weaving a story of redemption and grace. This is what you're a part of. So may we play our part by being committed to personal holiness. Secondly, may we play our part Well, playing our part extends to our homes, our workplaces, and our church commitments. Playing our part means serving where God calls us to serve. And playing our part means being willing to serve without acclaim. I'll leave you with this. As we've reflected on these chapters today, may we be stirred to renew our commitment to walk in holiness before God to deepen our engagement with the church body, and to serve diligently in the roles God has called us to serve. Amen? Play your part. Let's keep playing our part. I love you, LifeSpring. It's a great season to be at LifeSpring. Let's keep playing our part. Amen.